We've been ambushed by pornography. Hi, this is Karen Broadhead, director of Mothers Who Know. Are you or your loved ones experiencing the fallout? All of our families are navigating this uncertain territory. This enlightening series is dedicated to breaking the chains of pornography. Get ready to harness game-changing truths and tools for you and those you love. Special guest presenters with time in the trenches will courageously share experiences on the front lines along with powerful messages of hope. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, I'm so happy you're here, so grateful that you are here to meet the Peterson family. I love the Peterson family. I've been friends with the Petersons for so many years and I've had the opportunity to get to know them and their hearts and their desires to follow the Savior and to just put in the diligent and the deep work of mortality and do it with warrior hearts. I've been so impressed and so grateful to watch this family and this is a neat interview because it's actually a family. It's these Lloyd Peterson, Lisa Peterson, and their son, Brighton Peterson, are all here in this interview because I just thought it would be so valuable for you as listeners to have some insight into a family dynamic of parents who are discovering that their child is struggling and also have the perspective of their experience as kind of bystanders to watching and helping and supporting, but also their son Brighton, who's now a man Brighton with who's married and has children. But yeah, so I don't know, I guess I've known these people for over a decade, probably at least 15 years. So we've all been very devoted to and passionate about the efforts of life-changing services and it's just neat to notice our journey and how that's happened so we're going to get right into it and i'm just going to have you guys introduce yourself so if i could start with you lloyd if you'll just kind of inter say yeah this is kind of who the petersons are and then then i think it'd be fun for you and lisa to tell us how you met Okay, we're just a normal family with six kids, not quite empty nesters, but we're working on it. Uh, I'm a data engineer, which is just means I'm a computer geek and participated in the activities of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and uh, we've Try to live the principles that we hear over the pulpit, like reading the Book of Mormon as a family and saying family prayers and things like that. And um, we've also had all the challenges that normal people do, whether it's struggling to figure out who we are and what we want to be and accomplish, or that. There is an enemy and he beats up on each of us and figuring out how to be a couple and parents and raise kids with all different personalities and you know, we're just 
normal people. Mm -hmm. And I know, Lloyd, you have a love for scouting. You worked in scouting for a long time. Yeah, a long, long time. And I learned a lot about leadership and teaching youth and uh, about myself along the way. And like the outdoors, I like all sorts of artistic things. Um, yes, typical dad, we have all sorts of hobbies, but we don't get to spend a whole lot of time with them. <laughs> spend all of our time trying to provide for our families. Yeah. Yeah. And you listeners might recognize uh, Lloyd's voice. He's also an Eternal Warriors coach and he participates in the Eternal Warrior episodes that we do. So you probably recognize him there and uh, maybe you've gone and found him on the coaches page at Life Changing Services. But Lloyd, you've also been the father's support specialist and you have hosted a podcast, Father's mm -hmm. Fight. Yeah, so good. Well, I'm so grateful for you. And I've really appreciated you being Lisa's husband. Yeah, Lisa, how about you? What, what, what do you have to add? Anything that Lloyd missed or what could you tell us about you? Well, in addition to having six children, we have four daughters-in-law and six grandchildren with one on the way and and brighton actually is the parent of the one on the way <laughs> and we're so excited that he's going to add another little granddaughter to our family yeah. our family is mostly boys five boys and a girl and we did not think that it was possible for our sons to have daughters and we have <laughs> we're so lucky to get to have two of them so far <laughs> we're just delighted to have two boys and our first girl on the way it's really exciting totally yeah so lisa tell us a little bit about how you and lloyd met each other so it's about 37 years ago now that we met lloyd and i were both in the same university of utah student ward um, Lloyd was preparing to go to school and get his fine arts degree, and I was attending a vocational school and um, living in downtown Salt Lake. He and I were both called to be family home evening group leaders, mm -hmm. um, co-leaders, and um, I was good friends with his older sister, in our student ward and I would sit on one side of her and he would sit on the other side of her in our church meetings, but he had no idea that I was even there. He was <laughs> occupied with other things and other girls were very interested in him. There was kind of this cluster of five or six girls that were all roommates that liked to hover around him. And he was a pretty cool guy. <laughs> I was oblivious. I didn't know that any of them were interested yeah <laughs> the funny thing is that's hereditary all of his sons are also oblivious <laughs> oh that's so good yeah so we had an activity in our single adult stake where they they were doing a, a computer dance and you know in 1986 you can imagine what the computers were like and how they lined people up mm. but the computer was going to match up couples and you would dance with those couples according to how the computer 
lined you up and there was, I can't remember what his position was in the role, but there was a, a brother our same age in the ward who wanted to introduce Lloyd and me. And I knew him, he did not know me. And so he introduced us and we danced together. And I thought Lloyd was really weird. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but we did dance together and, and talked. And um, later he asked me out on an ice cream date to plan some activities. I and, thought it was a presidency meeting. She thought it was a date. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and I I really was not interested in guys. I had been hurt plenty. And so I didn't really want to be dating anybody. Mm -hmm. And and I was only marginally doing my calling. I wasn't very active mm -hmm. in church activity at the time. But when just over time, Lloyd just kept being there and being my friend and reaching out. And over time, when the last person that I had dated had hurt me and I was really done, Lloyd was the person that I called because he had been my friend with some history there. Mm -hmm. And and so I went to the next activity, helped him plan that next activity and and things kind of took off from there. As we would spend more time together. We never really did go on dates, but we were spending some time together and we were in my apartment and Lloyd had the impression, you go ahead and tell that part, honey. <laughs> it just felt like I was going to spend the rest of my life with her. Uncharacteristic of me, I said to her, you'll never guess what I'm feeling and so I told her <laughs> and she says you know kind of hesitantly and I don't know the right adjectives but she's like I'm feeling the same thing too and it's like oh I guess we should start dating <laughs> and the rest is history that's so great well you listeners, I wish you could see their faces because while they're listening to each other and talking, you could just tell these two still really adore each other. They really love each other. Well, so, we were friends before any romance happened and we're still friends. And that's awesome. Yeah, it's so good. All right. Well, let's, Brighton, let's have you introduce yourself. You can even tell us anything you want. Tell on your parents. Go ahead. Tell on my parents. Hey, this is usually the opportunity that most teenagers live for, and now my mind went blank. <laughs> so I am Lloyd and Lisa's third son. So my mom said that they have six kids, five boys and one girl. And so that's part of the reason why we're so excited to have girls in our family that have granddaughters for my parents to dote on. Yeah, I'm having a hard time thinking of anything to really tell my parents about it, it's going to come to you we have i to. guess we should add that you know we have our sons are all biological sons mm -hmm. and i wasn't able to have any more children after that but god had promised me a daughter and when our youngest son was two he started asking where's my baby sister and we thought 
go ask God about that because we can't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and we did some studying and some praying. And there was one day that my parents were making a trip to St. George and, and they stopped by our house to visit just, and it was just me and maybe Riley at home. And, and, and I was telling, he, he was your baby. Riley was our baby. And I was telling my parents about these experiences that we were having. And my dad said, you know, there's more than one way to have a child join your family. And we were like, Oh, duh. We could adopt. <laughs> well, who's going to want to place a child with a family that already has five children? But we just realized, okay, that was the spirit and that's what we needed to pursue. Mm -hmm. And so then we started looking into where can we adopt a child and specifically a girl. And the spirit said, it doesn't matter where you go the birth mother will find you. And so we just went to family services. And when we talked to the caseworker there, he said that they had just changed the policy within the last six months that anybody can apply to adopt. doesn't mm -hmm. matter how many children they have because it's going to be the birth mother's choice. And just before that, they had said no more than two children. If you already have two children, you can't apply to adopt. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did. We applied to adopt. And, and so it was, a, it was a long journey and it was a difficult journey. But we were able to adopt our daughter in 2006. And at the time, she was two years old. So we had finally gotten our daughter with after waiting 15 years we were able to get her that's amazing yeah she is such a powerful dynamic woman now she's an adulting girl yes she is yep so good yeah well, there's one way i can tell my parents is for there's a period of time and i guess my mom probably still does every once in a while when introducing our family she would say things like we have five boys and a girl and our daughter is the exclamation point at the end of our family because <laughs> she is just full of fire and passion and life and most the rest of us are like if we're in a room of people we're going to hug the walls or try and be in the corners and stuff like that or climb out the window to escape and <laughs> my sister she we'll go to the spotlight and she will hog it all. And we're all like, fine, please take it. I don't want it. <laughs> um, so she's an absolute delight. Yeah, I agree. She is. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I think you're all delightful no matter where you stand in a room. Really. It's really just so you're all so wonderful. So Brighton, tell us a little bit about you and yeah, you, a little bit why you, about your story and, and yeah, why don't you go with you, your family, and what makes you awesome? And then we'll go into how you found life-changing services, and we'll come back to your parents and ask them, well, what was your experience like with all with that discovery? Okay. Uh, as I said, the the third of the six kids, and so it's just growing up as the third child, I didn't realize until recently just how much 
my older siblings have impacted me both in good ways and in unpleasant ways, but you know, that's life following around my older siblings for a long time. And my younger brother was my best friend for a really long time. And we just spent, I didn't realize how weird our family was until I served my mission. And then you're outside of your parents' house and you just learn that, you know, we're different. And one of the most wonderful things that my parents did for us is all those years ago when television switched from analog to digital, they just never bought a new TV. And so the only channels that we had were like PBS stuff. And so we could watch like Sesame Street or Cyber Chase or those kinds of things. And then eventually you just couldn't watch TV at all. And I didn't realize until I was serving my mission, what that did for us. Cause we just spent all our time outside. I mean, I'm sure all of the neighbors thought we were insane. Um, our next door neighbor, the neighborhood that we lived in was kind of a mix of younger families and older retired couples. And some of my friends lived on the opposite side of the block. So rather than walking all the way around, I discovered that all of the fences were connected. And so I would just climb up on top of the fence and walk across the fence. I'm not trespassing. I'm not in anybody's yards. I'm just walking across the fences until I get in my best friend's backyard. And then I'd walk around to the front door and ring the doorbell like, hey, is he home? And that was normal for us. The neighbor didn't like it. We got in trouble for doing that a couple of times. We had rope swings and our dad helped us build the rope swings. And when I'm talking rope swing, I'm not talking about this dinky little thing that's six feet off the ground. No, the rope would go 15, 20 feet into the air and we would have loops on the bottom that we could put our foot in, but we built up the calces in our hands that we just thought that putting your feet in it was for pansies. And so we would all just hold on and swing and we put logs in and we'd go surfing in the air. And we built forts and all sorts of stuff in the trees there was one day where I was, this was later on when I was a teenager, I was feeling a little bored. My younger brother, my best friend weren't home from school yet. And I was doing my high school online. And so I just went in the backyard and built a medieval war machine called the ballista, which is a giant crossbow. And I was successfully able to launch a garden hoe over 50 feet. <laughs> and that's just the normal kind of stuff that we did. Another silly example, this wasn't me, but just the kind of quirky stuff we got into. After some of my older brothers started moving out, we started having a little more space. We started getting our own rooms. The brother just younger than me decided that, well, I'm, I'm not going to use the word lazy. I'm going to use the word efficient. He did not want to have to get out of his bed to go and turn the light off in the night. And so he rigged up some string that was attached to the light switch, went all the way across the ceiling and just dangled with a weight on it next to his bed. And so he could just tug on that and turn the lights off without having to get out of bed. That's not lazy. That's efficient. And that was just normal kind of stuff for what we did. Mm. And so that's the kind of family that I grew up in. We mm. played sports, baseball mostly. We still enjoy playing baseball and dodgeball and or not dodgeball, kickball. That's not the same thing. Though the last time we did play kickball as a family, that one got turned into a combination of kickball and rugby. There's a story behind that. And I'll get to that later when I get to how I met my wife. But that's the kind of stuff that we did growing up. Yeah. And unusual. my favorite memories are of all of my boys playing in the backyard. And they did things like sword fight with broken golf clubs. or <laughs> Nerf swords hadn't been invented yet. So we just used sticks or whatever we had. Mm -hmm. Yes. Or they would wad up a, 
a sock into a really tight ball and take sticks and play baseball, but they called it onion ball. And they it was full contact. You were allowed to tackle. <laughs> there, yeah, there was a whole invented, face on they it. They invented was... their own sport with rules and everything. Yeah, that one was called squeegee ball. I didn't know what squeegee was. I didn't know it's something you actually used to clean windows. I just thought it was a cool sounding word. It was a combination of basketball, football, dodgeball, or hockey, and you had to to score. You had to put a ball through a woven hammock. I couldn't play it anymore because I'm getting old and also I don't remember the rules, but that was just normal stuff for us. Oh, okay. You know what? That was a good idea for you guys to not continue with TV, sounds like. It was one of the best things. I I made so many of my companions angry when we would be having these conversations. I'd be talking about the childhood I had where I'm outside and I'm building things, I'm playing and they're telling me about their favorite TV shows. And there was this episode when that happened and this episode when that happened. And they're telling me about these video games. And there was one in particular who he almost hit me when he was talking about like, you missed out on all this stuff. And I was like, well, at least I had a childhood worth remembering. Now that was just impulsive, bright and saying the first thing that came to my brain. I still struggle with that sometimes, but he was so angry and offended that he almost hit me because I implied that TV isn't a childhood and that's all that he could tell me about from his childhood is these TV shows that he watched mm-hmm. and it it wasn't I don't think it was my parents plan that well this is the long term plan that our children are going to have this fantastic childhood if we don't upgrade the television I'm sure it was more practical things like televisions are expensive and we could spend that money on food but it is one of the best gifts that they could have given us Or if they sit in front of the television, they are glued to the television and nothing else happens. That is 100% accurate. My children will be watching, you know, today's version of Sesame Street and stuff like that. And because the way my brain works, I walk into the TV and all of a sudden I turn into, or I walk into the room, I turn into a zombie and I can't leave the room. Even though it's a really dumb, boring show that I'm not emotionally invested in at all, I can't leave. That's my fault. It's in my DNA and I passed it on to my children. <laughs> it is amusing watching my sons now. This last week, my two-year-old is watching a show and he's all slack-jawed and he's just like totally like zoned in. Mm-hmm. And so I think I'm being funny and I find a little stuffed animal. It happened to be a pink bison because we have like a whole zoo of stuff in our house. Mm-hmm. And I just gently toss it into his lap. And he just jumps like four feet in the air almost. <laughs> it's so rude, but so hilarious because he went from slack jaw, just vacant expression to what just happened. And yeah, that's hereditary. Well, you know, I know if I were a listener, what I'd want to know is all the wounds. Like you must be a master healer, Lisa. <laughs> you probably were like, oh, well, you know, go get the you know, go get the stretcher, the family stretcher. We got somebody, somebody's well, falling out of the tree again. There's a couple things. First of all, yes, Lisa is Dr. Mom. Mm-hmm. I know first aid, but mom's the doctor. Mm-hmm. But also we were really careful to teach our kids. Okay, I got back up. I grew up not being allowed to do anything. You get hurt. Don't do that. And it's like, I'm not going to raise my family that way. So we spent a lot of time. Okay, this is how you be safe. 
and then we get let them go to crazy things. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there was always road rash and skin, knees and elbows and stuff, but only two broken bones though. And one of those didn't happen bones. at home. Yeah. And they, it, it wasn't bad. We never had trips to the emergency room. We were really blessed. During this time of them growing up, we also didn't have health insurance. And we didn't have trips to the doctor. We didn't have trips to the emergency room. There was only, Brighton alluded to two broken bones. One of them was his when he accidentally got a Frisbee on top of the house and tried to climb a tree to get the Frisbee off of the house and fell. I had successfully done it several times before. I thought I could do it again. <laughs> but I did a little differently. I slipped. I fell out of the tree. It was probably about 10 feet. Landed on my stomach, completely winded. After I get my breath back, I look at my right arm. And the front part of my forearm was level with the back part of my forearm. And so like a couple inches of my forearm had raised up a couple inches. And so without moving, I just yelled really loud, Mom, I think I broke my arm. <laughs> and after that i went to shock and our neighbor who's a patriarch came and gave me a priesthood blessing and then we went to the hospital after that wow ah oh, well it's so fun i just love hearing you guys talk about these things together so great so oh okay let's shift we're gonna shift to because what we want to kind of highlight here is the Sons of Healman program and how you guys found life-changing services and what your experience was like just learning how to all of you learn why you're fighting and why you don't give up right as a family and as individuals and just I don't think we recognize just how painful wounds can be as we're talking about wounds here and needing first aid i don't think we realize how painful wounds can be that are oh in our you know start from the science of our brain is that how you would say it brighton right yeah yeah that's a large portion of it yeah and and then watching how that affects someone we love and just all of the there's just a lot of heartache and a lot of learning about who the savior is for us, as well as what it takes for each one of us to find him, no matter what our role is in healing, in the healing process. And so, so how did you guys come to find life-changing services? Or did you want to tell us the story about how you and your wife met while you're playing rugby or something like that? Yeah, I'll tell that story really quick and then we'll talk about. um, So I spent, as a teenager, I spent my summers working at scout camps. So I did that for, from when I was 14 up until I was 19 or I was about to turn 19, went and served my mission, came home, and now I'm thinking, okay, I'm a real man now and I need to go have a real man job as I get ready to go to college and pursue career and those kinds of things. And so my plan was I was going to come home. I was going to spend a few days with mom because I'd just been away for two years. And then I was going to go find a job. Mm-hmm. And so I did, except God had other plans. 
<laughs> and so I am looking for work. I'm applying for jobs. There's one place that they were actually going to give me a job. And so I walk into what I think is an interview. And instead, it's basically a sweatshop for making cookies. And I was like, I don't want to work here. I don't want to be just another number. And I had actually read through the paperwork and said, that if you don't show up for two days in a row, then you're fired. It's like, well, okay, I'm just not going to come back. And I'll just skip the putting in my two weeks notice thing. And anyway, I fast forward a month go back to work at scout camp because that was the only way that I could earn some money. And I had some strong emotional attachments to this camp. Mm-hmm. And I was just very concerned about the way things were going. And so at the end of the summer, the camp director talked me into coming back the next year to be the aquatics director or the guy who's in charge of all the water things. Mm-hmm. So fast forward the next year, I have to go to some national level training. And while I'm there, it's a 10 day course and other people have the same job as me as different camp scatter around the country are there. And that's where I met the woman who had become my wife and she will never let me live me. She will never let me live this down. So I may as well tell all of you, because if she met you, she would tell you this anyway. I didn't think she was a member of the church when I first saw her. And I don't know why I just somehow got the vibe that she wasn't a member of the church. This was on Friday, fast forward to Sunday and we have an hour that we can leave the camp to go and find a sacrament somewhere. And I'm just astonished that she's by the car ready and waiting in Sunday clothes to go and find a sacrament meeting. <laughs> Fast forward a couple more days and we're taking a kayaking class. And, you know, I'm having fun and I want to start playing with some of the people around me. I don't want to play with any of the guys because they're all boring or lame. And all of the girls that are there are married, engaged, or a really scary Navy veteran that I just didn't want to even want to talk to. And so by default, that left this girl, Jamie. And so I go and I splash her and I immediately start paddling away. What I didn't know is that she's the youngest in her family and she has three older brothers. And so this kind of thing is just normal life for her. And so immediately she gives chase. So I won the kayak battle. I got away without being splashed. But she paid me back in spades when we were playing on the paddle boards later that week. She has the most incredible sense of balance of any human I've ever met. If she wanted to be a trapeze artist, she totally could. And I don't have that balance. And so we'll just be paddling around on paddle boards and she'll come up and she'll like poke me with a paddle. And I fall in the water, crawl back on my paddle board and just over and over and over and over again, she totally won that round. So... We had this fantastic week together, very quickly became best friends. I was interested in her. She was interested in me somehow. This is still true that we are awful at communicating. And so we never communicate our feelings to each other. She goes to her camp. I go to my camp. I'm going to go visit her later in the summer. And she friend zoned me because she had started dating one of the guys at that camp. So fast forward six months, she breaks up with that guy. I get promoted to be the director of the camp I was at. And now I need a waterfront director. She just starts messaging me out of the blue. And at that time, I'm in a relationship with somebody else. And so I ask her to, there's just straight business. I ask her to come and be our waterfront director. Fast forward a couple more months. I break up with the girl that I was with. Now we're at camp and I'm her boss and decided that I'm, not going to pursue anything romantic with any of my employees, but we worked together for 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. And at the end of week nine, she wore me down. And so 
then we started being all cuddly and getting close and stuff like that. And about a month later, we were engaged. Wow. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how we met that kickball story. Only one of my brothers, no, that's not true. Two of my brothers were married at the time. One of them was out of state in Arizona. He wasn't there. So my other brother's wife, my sister-in-law, were playing kickball together as a family. And my sister-in-law announces the rule that you can tackle people who are roughly the same age as you. And <laughs> Jamie, who is not, we, we were planning on being married. I hadn't officially asked the question yet because I hadn't bought the ring, but we both knew it was coming. And she was totally gung-ho with this. And so she's tackling me. She's getting the brother just younger than me on her side. And so they're tag teaming me. And I'm just trying to make my way to crawling with two people on top of me, trying to make my way to the next base. <laughs> yeah. Just all sorts of crazy stuff like that. She's a lot of fun. Wow. That's so great. Yeah. And, and the whole time you guys are watching there, boy, this girl, she's a good girl to add to our family with all these boys. I think my dad may have been more heartbroken than I was when she friend zoned me. <laughs> That's we've, a whole different story. We don't have time for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've liked her from the first time that she, we met her their, their first summer when they met, she actually bought, brought Brighton home from their meeting place. Mm -hmm. And she said, you've raised a really fine guy or something i don't remember her exact words and we i was so surprised to have another peer say something like that to us as parents that they'd only met had you know for 10 days and mm -hmm. she had really great things to say about him and actually wanted to talk to us as parents and the following summer when brighton was the camp director and we we had this really interesting dynamic he had asked a couple of the girls that he was going to school with and was friends with up at BYU Idaho to also work with that with him at the camp. And so we had one of them that stayed in our extra bedroom. And then Jamie and one other girl would stay the weekends in our tent trailer on in the side yard. And so we had these three YSA girls there at the same time. <laughs> and they would kind of pick a little at each other. And I think they were a little envious of each other. And it was all over Brighton. And he it, was there was a live, uh, there was a love triangle and I was oblivious. I inherited that from my dad. I had no clue what was going. <laughs> Apparently when you get to be YSA age, if you're playing and just goofing around with somebody who is the, the opposite sex, apparently that's flirting. And I didn't know that. So I was accidentally flirting with multiple girls because I thought that that was kosher and okay. <laughs> oh, there's so many rules. How do you even know? I, I didn't. That was the problem. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and we God. didn't know that either because we hadn't been around that kind of thing either. So anyway. <laughs> right. Totally. So yeah. Their story is really fun. Yeah. And I, you do have just the most darling two sons brighton and it's so neat to know that you're gonna have a daughter that's really awesome so yeah. when is the baby due november okay not too long yep yep we're excited all right so let's see who should we have start this story about how you guys found life-changing services i think i can start and then we'll have my parents fill in the blanks sounds good 
So my story starts about 20 years ago. So this was about 2002-ish. Up until this point, we had been living in a small town called Richmond, north of Logan. We recently moved to North Ogden, Utah. And I, I don't remember all of the details, but somewhere around this time is when I was first exposed to pornography. And very quickly started behaving or showing addictive-like behaviors where it was just constantly in my thoughts and stuff like that. And basically just kept it to myself for the next couple of years. You were just a little guy. Yeah, I was just a little guy. I was just eight years old-ish. Some mm-hmm. eight and nine, somewhere around there. Fast forward a couple of years, I'm about 11 years old when I finally work up the guts to tell my parents the first time we have a talk and things more or less got better from there until puberty hit. And with all of the hormones that come with puberty, all of the behaviors and thoughts and stuff like that came back even stronger than they had before. And I did not have the guts to tell my parents the second time, but I wanted them to know. And so I started kind of leaving breadcrumbs for them to catch me. Mm-hmm. One specific memory I have is we went to a stake conference and I remember the stake president saying something along the lines of parents don't trust your children. You should check the web history and stuff like that. And on the way home, I mentioned something along the lines to my mom that I really like what he said there about not trusting children. And that's about as gutsy as I got at 13 years old about telling my parents, Hey, I have a problem again. And so not too long later, uh, my mom does check the internet history. She sees some of the stuff that I've been looking at and then start having conversations with my parents again. Not too long afterwards, I they have me start meeting with a one-on-one therapist. Really good guy. He was a little out of his depth. He didn't normally work with people with this kind of situation. And so he just printed off the church's 12-step program. He was trying to walk me through that. He didn't entirely know what he was doing. And I was just kind of immature and not ready to do the work. And so after trying that for a number of months, we just kind of let that go. And there's a lot of shame at this time. I was the deacon's quorum president at this time. And so kind of felt two-faced where I have these responsibilities at church. I'm trying to do these good things, but in the dark of the night, I'm full of shame and these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And then fast forwards a few more years till I'm 16 and it's February of, what would it have been like 2011, 2010 at that point. And my parents just kind of come into the room when I was like, Hey, we found this program and we signed you up. It wasn't like a, Hey, do you want to, but also wasn't like, you're going to go and you're going to like it is we found this thing. We signed you up. We're going to go have this one-on-one meeting with the facilitator who runs the group and it just kind of informed me that I was going to be going mm-hmm. a lot of nerves, a lot of worrying, a lot of shame and stuff like that. We go, we have meeting. He teaches me some of the principles. I start using them and I immediately start seeing some progress, more progress than I had ever before up to this point. Um, Fighting on my own as I had been more or less for years. My parents were trying to support me as best they could. I'm sure they'll talk about that in a minute or two. The furthest I was ever able to make it was about a month. And that was with fasting. I was in ninth grade at the time. I was fasting three times a week. I was reading my scriptures. I was saying prayers. I was doing everything I knew how to do. And I made it about a month. 
decided that it would be okay to start eating like a normal human again. And shortly afterwards, fell off the wagon. Almost immediately after I joined Sense of Healman and start using tools I didn't know were available, I made it a month again. And it took so much less effort than my previous attempt. And it still took me a while to work my way through the program to learn the skills, the tools, the principles. But it made such a big difference. And so that's how we first joined and first came to Sons of Healman and Life-Changing Services. Mm, so good. Thanks, Brighton. Yeah, what was your experience like, Lloyd and Lisa? Let's start with Okay. So Brighton, as a child, really lived up to his name. He's very bright, as in smart, but also very um, bright, as in really delightful and happy and fun to be around. Mm -hmm. And if ever there was a group of children around, Brighton would be leading them in some kind of game that he had made up. And it was some kind of outdoor game. Mm. So fun to be around. Mm -hmm. And then um, he started becoming really angry and we didn't know why. And we got a phone call one day when he was in fifth grade that he had been in a fight at school and he was going to be suspended for a few days and we needed to come to the school to talk about this and and we didn't understand what the anger was about and I don't think he did either mm -hmm. um, they did have him do a little bit of counseling there with the school counselor at school once he came back to school and he became after that more quiet um, more reserved still having some anger issues I remember a time when I was, I was just telling him good night. I was sitting on the edge of his bed and I asked him what was going on mm -hmm. and he couldn't tell me, but he just said, I'm working through some personal stuff. And, and then he mentioned how he had shared at 13 that he was, that he was struggling and, and and I we talked to him about it again. You know, remember when I mentioned last year that I was working through some personal stuff. This is what it was. Mm -hmm. And I when he when that at 13, when we learned that, I made some phone calls mm -hmm. and was trying to find some resources. And when I called family services, they said contact Sons of Helaman. Mm -hmm. And they gave me the name of the the therapist to call that was in our town. And so I called him mm -hmm. and I talked to him about our son, what was going on to my understanding. And the clinician said, I'm sorry, he's not a good fit for our group. Mm. And that was kind of devastating at that time. Yeah. My son needed help and we didn't know what to do. Do you remember why he wasn't a good fit? I think. If I remember right, he was kind of concerned about how young I was. Yeah, I think that was a concern because he was 13. And because my understanding of what he was struggling with was more fantasizing and not actually acting out. Mm. And and so when I would try and describe it, he might have thought that it wasn't, you yeah. know, it wasn't a full on pornography thing. Okay. So like Brighton said, we did take him to a counselor that only met with him a few times 
and, and talked about the the 12 step. He also introduced Lloyd and I to a you know parenting program and he really went deep into that. He really loved the Love and Logic parenting program mm-hmm. and taught us some principles from that which were helpful but not really what we needed in this situation. Right, right. And and so we worked with that counselor, we worked with the bishop Brighton worked on his own. Like he said, he did by the time he was in ninth grade, he was fasting about every other day. And and at that time he was trying to work his way towards a temple recommend so that he could go to the temple dedication for a temple that was going to be opening soon. So he was working really hard mm. to to qualify for a recommend so he could go to that temple dedication. Um and then a few years later, when um, Lloyd had earned some extra money at work, he got a bonus. Brighton was still struggling. I called family services again when Brighton was 16. Mm-hmm. And they told me, call this same guy, contact Sons of Helaman, call this clinician. So I called him. And this time, he probably didn't remember me from three years before. But this time we were able to set up a time to meet with him and and go in and have that intake session and then get Brighton started. Mm. And at the, at the same time, we bought a, a punching bag so that Brighton would have some place to put his anger when he was feeling angry. He had a punching bag that he could punch and kick mm-hmm. and do whatever needed to be done to help work out some of that anger that was still inside of him. Where, where do you think that anger came from, Brighton? This has been a very recent discovery for me. But so as I said, the the third of six children, and as you kind of put together, we were kind of roughhousey a lot, sword fighting with sticks and stuff like that. And because that was just our childhood and the way I grew up. At some point, I figured out that when I get angry, I am powerful. Well, let me back and put it in the right context. Playing with my brothers, I'm younger than them. I'm smaller than them. I'm going to get hurt. And when I get hurt, whether it's on purpose or not, I learned that if I get angry, I get strong, I get powerful. And it's a way of, of fighting back. If I get angry and start lashing out, they'll leave me alone. Mm-hmm. About 2002, when we moved from Richmond to North Ogden. In between, there was a short time where we lived at our grandparents' cabin up in Logan Canyon. And all we did for that summer was sword fighting. And there's a particular stick that I found that I really liked. It was big, it was heavy. And my brothers hated sword fighting with me with that stick because I would get angry. And because of how big my stick was, I could wail on their stick so hard to send vibrations down their hands and hurt a lot. And so it was a defense mechanism. And it's still something that I struggle with when my default response, when I get hurt, whether it's physically, because my four-year-old likes to play hop on pop and I'm not the best trampoline. If I get hurt physically, or if I'm having a normal interaction, that's well, I'm having just like the normal disagreements that married couples have. And if I get hurt, I get angry and it's something I'm still processing through, but it, it started as a place of protection. It started as a place to help me feel powerful and strong instead of weak and vulnerable mm-hmm. but do you think that your anger started because of the things that maybe you didn't understand with pornography stuff or no 
I don't know that it started there. It may have. With my current understanding, I would say that I started the fancy people in white coats call this a maladaptive learning behavior, which basically it's something that works now, but it's going to hurt you in the long run. And mm-hmm. that's what my anger has been. It's something that it protected me from my brothers hurting me more. And it was one of the only ways I knew how to process feeling weak and feeling vulnerable. And as a more sensitive than average human being, I mean, even more so as a child, there was a lot of times that I felt weak and vulnerable, whether mm-hmm. that was physically or emotionally or or whatever. And so this was the the only tool I knew how to use in order to process the weakness and the vulnerability. And shame is an inherent part of sexual self-mastery struggles, the pornography, the fantasies, the masturbation, all of that. Shame is such a massive, painful part of that. And shame hurts. Shame makes you feel vulnerable. But anger made me feel powerful. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's still pieces of this that I don't understand yet. But I think that's where a lot of the anger came from. It was an unhealthy coping mechanism because I didn't know what else to do. Yeah. Yeah. Lloyd, what do you remember about all that time? Well, specifically to what was just spoken about, while there is a negative side and stuff to what we've been talking about, Brighton's always been a fighter. And I don't mean that in a negative way. He has always been the hero to stand up and put the effort in to do what's right, whether that's uh, with his fist or with helping somebody else or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so while we have been talking about the negative side of the anger and stuff, how that it. There's also the side that this is a powerful tool, and it is power. It just needs to be channeled and harnessed and used the right way. Mm -hmm. And Brighton's always had a light in him. Even when he didn't know it, I remember times when I'm telling him, how awesome I think he is. And his eyes just are pleading with me. Are you serious, Dad? Do you really think I'm a good, wonderful person? And it's like, yes, I know you are. Yeah, he was struggling. Satan was whomping on him. Because mm-hmm. he is so powerful and amazing and wonderful. Yeah, and I... I'm just a outsider, not in this family, but I agree. I think that is who Brighton is. And it's been so, so fun to, you know, I met Brighton when he was a teenager before you went on a mission, Brighton. But yeah, it's been so, such a, an honor to watch your efforts to, you know, give back so much, you know, once you realized, okay, this is, this is how you win this self-mastery battle and this is how you stay moving toward and fighting for recovery 
and then all of the things that you've gotten involved in in life-changing services we didn't mention that yet but yeah there's so many things that you have gotten involved in that have been you know not only did you go through the sons of human program graduate and become general and go on a mission but then when you got back you thought all right put me to work basically yeah yeah so good and so now you're actually you're almost a trained therapist right yeah that part's still messy but so i this is fast forwarding quite a bit from where we left off in the story but just before i turned 18 so this month 11 years ago i finally graduated from sons of healman after a year and a half mm -hmm. and then I wasn't done with high school yet, so I had to finish high school. I go, I serve my mission. I come home. I, there's the story I shared with you about how I met my wife, Jamie. I was going to BYU-Idaho, got my bachelor's degree in psychology there, moved east to Missouri to work on my master's degree so I could become a licensed therapist, and got about halfway through, ran into some snags with my personal development and some issues with some of my professors. So I, I paused, I took a, I was going to defer for a semester and then we just got some really strong promptings. That it was time to move back to Utah mm -hmm. and, and we did, there's, well, that story isn't particularly relevant to our discussion tonight, but moved back to Utah and the university I was attending didn't have an online option, still don't. And mm -hmm. One of the most painful things about the American college university education system is it is almost impossible to transfer credits if you don't complete a degree. And so I have over half of the degree done, and it's just been an absolute pain trying to find someone who will accept my credits. Mm -hmm. So I put in the hours, I put in the time, I've put in the practice, but at this time I'm functioning as a specialist or a coach. I don't yet have the fancy piece of paper that says I can be a therapist. Yeah. But you might as, might as well be one. <laughs> I, I put in the hours. If my degree was done, I could already be a licensed therapist because I put in the hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Brighton, you have just done such amazing, been such a, a dedicated servant. It's been awesome. It's been an honor to watch that. And I think you kind of got that from your parents because they both are the same kind of people. It's been amazing. So Lloyd and Lisa, when Brighton was in the Sons of Healing program, what was it that you noticed? He said that it was for the first time, it felt so much easier to do better, even though maybe he wasn't winning all of his battles. It was so much easier to win and so much so much he found some relief just getting in the program what did you guys notice as parents i think the best illustration is a story i was in mistake young men's at one point and uh, been at a presidency meeting and i don't remember why I had, we had to come home to get something to give to the president and walk in the house Brighton is sweeping the floor, listening to conference talks, being the perfect son, and the gentleman with me says, 
wow, can my daughter date him? Uh, That's the kind of change we saw. Uh, Another thing was, was after church, the priest quorum advisor comes up to me and says, what's up with Brayden? And I say, what do you mean? He says, none of the other kids in the class today could answer any of the questions. And Brighton was not only answering the questions, he was quoting scriptures. He was teaching the rest of us, Mm -hmm. even the adults. And at that point, it's like, I want to be like you, Brighton. You are really hitting this ball out of the park, and I want to be like you. Wow. So what I'm hearing you say, Lloyd, is you noticed that in this program, it was bringing out the the real Brighton. The best and, of Brighton, yeah. absolutely. Bringing out the best of Brighton, but so good that you were like, I, I don't think I've learned that yet. I want to be, I want to yeah. be like that. Exactly. Yeah. That, I actually had that same experience with my son in Sons of Human. Not exactly, but me realizing when he went on his mission that he had learned how to receive personal revelation and have a relationship that was personal with the Jesus Christ that I, in my mid-40s, had no idea how to do that. And so I was like, I remember writing him a letter on his mission his first month and saying, my mission while you're on your mission is to learn what you have learned. And I told him what I'd set up as far as the appointment that I'd made that I was, that I was going to try to keep every day. Uh, and what my plan was and ask him, is there anything else you would add to my plan? Right. Anyway, it was just a really amazing, inspiring thing to see. I wanted what he had. I know, by the way, it's still that way. He's still (laughs) awesome, and I want to be like him. Mm -hmm. I do want to clarify that I am human. (laughs) (laughs) As a teenager, I still made mistakes. I still did really dumb stuff. I still shouted at my siblings. I still hit my siblings as a someone who's attempting to be an adult i still struggle i shouted at my kids as i put them to bed tonight because my poor two-year-old has eaten too many plums recently and (laughs) so he has some very acidic poop and it hurts and so he's been difficult and i ran out of patience (laughs) i am trying i i recently read elder renlin's talk about saints keep on trying and a saint is a sinner who just keeps on trying and that's that's where i'm at that's what i'm trying to do yeah sounds like all of us lisa what did you notice when brighton joined the sons of healing program i i noticed the a lot of the ups and downs he and i were very close and i was very tuned into him personally I felt a lot of guilt as a mom. Sure. That what did I miss? How could this have happened? And it 
I, so I was, I felt like my success as a mom was tied to how my children were acting. Mm-hmm. And, and I've come to learn differently, but it still is hard sometimes to separate yeah. the two. So when Brighton would struggle, you know, I would struggle. I was totally tied into that with him. Mm-hmm. And when he did well, then we were well. We, but I did, I noticed as we had, we were able to attend the parent support meetings or the generals panel that were held um, in person at the time. Mm-hmm. And partway through Brighton's work, the, the the group in our town in Ogden closed down. And so I would take Brighton to Farmington to go to group because that's the next place that we could go. Mm-hmm. And, and so I got, I had the privilege of, since Brighton wasn't driving, I would sit in the parking lot and read while he was in group. And then he and I would talk about what he did at group while on our drive home. Mm-hmm. And so I got to watch him absorb the things that he was learning in group. Mm -hmm. And there were times that he did not want to talk. And so we would just turn on the radio or write in silence or whatever. But a lot of the times he would share with me at least something that he had learned that day. And, and so going to the, hearing him explain some of the things that he was learning going to those general panels and having Maurice and the generals teach us about the kind of support that these young men want and need changed how we were parenting and how we would see things ourselves. And, and I started learning things for myself that I knew that I needed to take a step back and let this be his battle and and me support in a different way mm-hmm. and as i started to do that it seemed like brighton was able to take off a little more i was not a weight that he had to carry mm-hmm. and trying to make mom happy and so i think he was strengthened by me gaining some of my own strength mm-hmm. and brighton talks about this every time he shares his story but there was just one night that as I was kissing him goodnight, gave him a hug, and I just told him, have a good night, my warrior. And I had no idea where that came from. It just came out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. And and that became a nightly ritual. And he just became so strong and fierce and determined that he was going to do whatever it took to win. He, the last time he lost a battle, I think it was about, he was at week, maybe eight weeks or nine weeks. He had been measured for his ring Mm -hmm. and was so looking forward to it and, and had a lost battle and he was devastated. And after that, he just that's when he decided, I am going to be a righteous freak. I will do whatever it takes to win. And to see him step up and just decide, no matter what, I am going to win. And to see the ferocity that he fought every single day until he did it. 
was just astounding and to watch the way the spirit would shine through him and how he became a spiritual giant that the way that he relied on on God and conference talks and scriptures and the things that he did so that he could win was just awe-inspiring to me. Yeah, Lloyd, you are, I, well, I kind of think you're ready to talk and say something. I'll just let you say something. Yeah, it was life-changing for me to watch Brighton change. Because, like I said before, I wanted to be like him. So, and this was early on. It, it wasn't very far into it. I, I, I think he had just got his first four weeks and was still yo-yoing and, and fighting and learning skills. But mm -hmm. it's like I asked him, so teach me. Teach me what you're doing. I want to understand these principles. And like Lisa said, we went to the groups and stuff, mm -hmm. or the, not groups, the parents meeting, the general panels, and we'd read the pamphlet. It wasn't a book then, it was just a pamphlet. A booklet, yeah. Yeah, and, and I was hungry to understand the principles and so Brighton would teach me. And while I wasn't struggling with the same problems he was, everything he was learning absolutely applied to my problems. I needed to run to the flagpole. I needed to get my warrior chemistry going. I needed all those things. I needed to understand that we have an enemy who's trying to take us out and I needed to recognize him and fight. And so it was Brighton would teach me and I would apply the principles. It was divine intervention, but we became battle buddies. I didn't even know I was helping him. Just like Lisa didn't know she was helping when she said, good night, my warrior. Mm -hmm. She absolutely was because she was directed by the spirit. And that became a powerful thing to help brighten. Well, my desire to learn was selfish. I wanted to be awesome like him, but they didn't know that I, me being his battle buddy was the best thing I could do to help him with is for me to understand the principles and fight my own battles. Mm. And there was times that, you know, I got called out on my stuff. <laughs> there was times that it's like, Brighton, I'll race you to the flagpole because I could see he needed his chemistry to change. But I think one of the most powerful things that ever happened in our story is that devastating loss Lisa talked about. Mm -hmm. Brighton was just crushed. He was just because Satan had sniped him, shot him from a thousand yards, didn't even see him. And I told him, okay, that happened. It's okay. Just 
don't stay there. Get up and fight. And I, because he had studied martial arts, I held up my hands. I said, just hit my hands. Just, he was curled up in, on the floor. And I said, just stand up and punch my hands. We were in the bathroom when we did that. I don't know why we were in the bathroom, but <laughs> we were in the bathroom and we were doing that. And and, and it took some co coaxing, but it's like he, he got up and he physically fought with his body and that helped him have the power to fight with his heart and soul and spirit. And I know what we did as parents was directed by the Holy Ghost, but it's because of what we learned from life-changing services that it even worked because everything we had before that just wasn't. So what you learned then was just the principles Brighton was learning and how to apply them to yourselves. And you also learned what your role was and what your role was not, and how when you when you stood in your role, it actually was such a strength to brighten. Yes. But the principles we learned, because we learned them, the Holy Ghost could work with that. It's like, okay, I've got a pot full of something, and I can do something with it. <laughs> where if we don't have anything, there's not much for the Holy Ghost to work with. I love that. Yeah, totally. So it was like, yeah, you guys were becoming more and more understanding the warrior mentality. Yeah. It's okay to have some ferocity against an enemy who's trying to, you know, destroy your family and defeat yeah. your defeat your spirit and steal your soul. Like that's yep. okay to get a little bit up up in arms about that. Yeah, that anger that we talked about earlier, that's using it the right way. That's yeah. the right application. And it's not the anger that's the problem. It's the it's yeah. the right place, the right time. You handle it the right way. Yeah, one of the big things we learn at here at Life Changing Services and all the programs is there's only one enemy. So yeah, when you can focus that righteous anger at the enemy on behalf of your protecting yourself and your own liberty and freedom and safety really from the enemy so that you can connect with right the savior and champion. So good. Brighton, what do you remember about your parents um, adjusting as parents and that whole situation as when you're learning the principles and seeing them, what did you notice change about them? That I think one of the easiest ways to illustrate this is there was a couple of times um, before I joined Sense of Helaman that it was late at night all my siblings were in bed i'm on one part of the couch my parents are on the other part of the couch and i don't remember much about those conversations but i do remember my dad asking do, do you even want to change do you even want to get better and my and he was asking using the information that he had doing the best he could and my mental response at the time was well 
No. And it wasn't that I didn't want to change is that I was so burdened with pain and with shame. I didn't think I could change. Right. And so we went from this place where good intentions, but entirely unhelpful to eventually as my parents were talking about the, the spirit was able to nudge them and guide them to give them training so that they were beneficial as my dad talked about, he was my battle buddy where we were able to be accountable to each other. And it made such a big difference. What my mom shared about, about asking those questions. Um, one of the funny psychological things that the spirit did for them, they didn't know that they were doing this is that's how memory works in order for something to get into long-term memory it has to be rehearsed and repeated. So I had to pay attention enough in group at, to at least take something away that I could tell my mom about 10 minutes later and I had to remember it again and tell my dad about it an hour later. And both of them would have follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. And so the principles would stick. And then as they would continue to ask more follow-up questions, understand how to use the principles or variations of the principles in their own improvement, in their own self-mastery, that meant that I had to understand the concept of the principle in enough depth to be able to answer questions. Mm-hmm. And so that was hugely beneficial as my mom said we were really emotionally close at the time i i don't know that i could count the number of late nights where we just sat and cried together because i had lost again again and we were both hurting i can't remember the number of times that we just prayed together and it was one of those things I learned later that is something I really needed. I needed someone that I could just break with. And then I needed someone who could say, okay, that's enough. Get off your butt and get back to work. Mm-hmm. And I, I needed both of those. That particularly devastating battle that my dad was talking about. I sometimes wonder if I could have emotionally bounced back a little faster if I'd been able to break with my mom first and then try to fight with my dad. I don't know. But that support was so needed and so helpful. And and it was a journey. As my dad talked about, there was the yo-yoing where I'd win for a month and lose for two and win for a month and lose for two. Learning a little at a time, gaining a tool, gaining a principle until eventually, as my mom said, I, I reached that point where I decided I was willing to do whatever it took. I was willing to become a righteous freak. I learned later that in the scriptures, the phrase for that is a peculiar people. (laughs) So that's a good thing. It's a good thing to be a righteous freak. God just has other words for the same concept. Yeah. But it, it was hard. There were things I had to sacrifice. For example, I had to get to a point where I didn't care how weird my best friend thought I was. Because I went to early morning seminary and because Satan's a jerk and does what he does, girls don't always dress modestly in seminary. Mm-hmm. And then Satan will use that to mess with my head. And so every morning before we go into early morning seminary, we're standing outside the building and I would drop and do some push-ups to try and get my head in the right place. And he would just stand there and stare at me. And I had to be okay with just doing push-ups out in public where someone's three feet away from me and just staring at me. <laughs> yeah, it was 
it was hard. It took time and effort and tears and there were mistakes on, on all of our parts. But one of the things that really stood out to me, we have a, a family friend who they would sit on the bench right in front of us at church. Mm-hmm. And the Sunday that I gave my missionary farewell talk, standing at the front of the chapel and people are coming and saying congratulations and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> this friend named Deanna, her family friend named Deanna, I didn't know her very well personally, but she knew my parents really well. She came up to me and said, this isn't quite word for word, but pretty close. She's like, I've never seen somebody change more in two years than you have. And that was humbling and at the same time so validating that this person, I don't think she really had any idea what was going on at home or my personal struggles, Mm -hmm. but that such an outward change could be seen as my parents and I worked together to improve not just my sexual self-mastery, but our relationships and just self-mastery in general. Another thing that I noticed, Karen, is part of Brighton's recovery in the beginning was very physical. All the push-ups, the writing, the scriptures, all of those things. And since he had about a year or 10 months from when he graduated to when he went on his mission, those those skills were, were refined and became more spiritual. And, and so he was, it was such an interesting dynamic to, to, to just watch him become more spiritually in tuned. He knew how to get answers to prayer. He knew where to go to find answers in scripture or in conference talks. He had things memorized. He was very in tune so that he was not only, had this physical self-mastery, but he was also having this very in-tune spiritual depth to him as well. And that was very noticeable to friends and neighbors as well. Mm-hmm. And one thing he remarked on when he was on his mission is he didn't realize that he this change that he was doing was repenting. We never called it repentance. But it was, it was a change. And that's what repentance is, is, is it's changing, it's turning to Christ. And that's what he had been doing. And it was just really neat, or that's probably not the right word. And it's, it's hard to describe the depth of it, to watch this young man who is so powerful make this dramatic change in his life. And it was a slow change. But when you, when we look back over time, it was very dramatic change. And for him, it was perfect. The the year and a half that it took, he would not be the man that he is today. Mm-hmm. If, if he had been able to get through the program or whatever in 12 weeks, he needed that time, that refining, those lost battles, those practicing those tools and realizing, oh, that didn't work out so well. I need to try something else or I need to try again or I need to do this harder or whatever. 
he needed that time. Okay, so that's really amazing to notice and very fascinating that you mentioned how it changed from when he was in Sons of Helaman as a younger guy, and then how it shifted as he got older into being something more heartfelt. Can you explain that a little better? Yeah, so I was thinking that when Brighton was in Sons of Helaman and shortly after his graduation, it seemed very law of Moses like so very ritualistic I do these physical things and these rituals and I do this many and and all the, the planning and you know the hourly things and it changed from that to being more of a higher law sort of thing more spiritual driven so that's just really interesting contrast between <clears throat> 18 year old graduate and who he is now yeah and really fascinating how he mentioned how he was impressed in general conference that, you know, you could be healed. Yes. And recognizing it's not necessarily I'm completely healed and I've taken this, God's taken this weakness from me, but that as he stays aligned with that spiritual law of his recovery, that Jesus Christ carries so much of the the what intricate actions that he would do that were more letter of the law so it was almost right. like it was almost like the spirit was sending him a message it would be good if you put all of that over here and then took up this spiritual approach to all of this because i got a lot more work for you to do <laughs> yeah, that's right that was so good one of the other things, as my mom mentioned, it, it started very physical with running to the flagpole and all of those kinds of things. And eventually kind of grew or matured into those more spiritual things where I was less dependent on running to a physical flagpole pole and started running to my father in heaven in prayer. But it had to happen in that order because you, you remember that's just a little while before I'm in ninth grade. I'm fasting every other day. I'm spending spare time in scriptures. Like I was trying to do the spiritual things and it wasn't working. Mm. And I had to first learn that there's more to the soul than the spirit. Uh, I'm so grateful that the young men's young women's programs are built off of the scripture, Luke chapter two, verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. And I had to learn that, that if the savior of the world had to grow and develop in all four parts of his life, I had to do the same. I had to learn how to protect myself, not just spiritually, but also physically through running to the flagpole and these kinds of things. I had to learn how to protect myself intellectually by seeking after things that are virtuous, love of good report and praiseworthy. Um, the one that really broke my brain because again, if we're at a party, I'm the guy who's either trying to climb out a window or I'm in the corner. God expected me to have a social life. <laughs> like, it says that Jesus Christ grew in favor with man and he interacted with humans. And I had to learn how to do that too. And I am still socially awkward, but the scripture doesn't say that I have to be socially competent. That's not what it says. It just <laughs> says I have to connect with people. <laughs> And I had to, it took time. I had to learn these skills. It was such a huge relief when I learned, especially for the social piece, I don't have to interact with all of the humans. I just need to interact with humans in healthy and connective ways. Yeah. Even if there's people who live in the same house as I do. 
I don't have to be the life of the party. My sister can have all of that. I don't need that. I just need to be able to connect with people in healthy ways. And it was a process. It took time. But then once I'd come on this journey, and I say it as if the journey's over, um, graduating from the program was a milestone, not a destination. As my mom said, my my border patrol and self-safety kinds of things continue to change and grow and evolve in the almost year between when I graduated from the program and when I left on my mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what have you noticed then? Because now Brighton's a dad and a husband, right? And you, both you, Lloyd and Lisa, have stayed connected to life-changing services, just like Brighton has. It's like all of you arrived here because you were you were needed right we, we needed you so much here and lisa's become our front office manager and been such an atmosphere angel at life-changing services it's just been phenomenal and lloyd you've offered so much support and willingness all along the way and when i finally talked to you into being over the fathers it was so fun and yeah, you have so much wisdom and you're so authentic and honest about just trying the best you can as a dad, trying the best you can as a man. You don't really have to have all the answers, but it's got to come from an honest place. The journey's not over. Yeah. And, you know, even though the battle is different now. Mm-hmm. I I still have a lot to learn. I still have a lot to progress. I still don't understand the principles as much as I would like to. Yeah. I there's still so much there I can gain. I, the conversation I had with Maurice once is like, yes. The uh, gospel is taught over the pulpit, but life-changing services teaches me how to apply what I hear over the pulpit, how to do it in my life. I guess I'm one of those people that can't take what's said and just do it. I need help, and that's what I get from life-changing services. So I hear a lot of people say something very similar. And I guess I would say something similar too. There were, you know, being a professional church lady, right? I just knew how to be a church lady. Yeah. But I, when I had that discovery watching my son, I do not know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I do. That's amazing. I need to figure that out. But then it was applying these eternal warrior principles that they learn in the Sons of Healing program that are in the Like Dragons Did They Fight book and me applying them and learning how to just work them in my own life and then also learn how to articulate what they are and what they mean. It like connected these dots in my brain that I did not have connected yet about, oh, this is how you use the understanding of the science of being a human, right? There's science in it all. And when I understand that, it, it it really reinforces my ability to live the spiritual principles that I care so deeply about. Yeah. But before before I understood that, it was very difficult for me to to think, 
well, I know how to act like a church lady and sound like a church lady, but when nobody's looking, I feel like a horrible, like, I don't know how to do this human thing. Yeah. yeah. So Brighton, how do you stay in recovery? That's one of the biggest things I hear from parents. And is, is it really true? Can guys really graduate and go on to be successful? And do they still have to keep applying these principles? Do they just mature and grow out of it? Yeah. What, what would you say to people about that? I think which of those questions to answer first. They're all good <laughs> questions. Well, I guess the last question is the easiest. No, guys don't just mature out of it. So we'll just start with the really depressing thing and then we'll go from there. It does take work. It's one of the first things that God told Adam and Eve when they were kicked out of the garden of Eden is by the sweat of thy face, shalt they eat thy bread all the days of thy life. I was re-depressed by that thought when I remembered that Adam lived to be over 900 years old. That's a lot of days to sweat so that you can eat. Fortunately, I don't have to worry about living that long, mm-hmm. but it, the, the principle is that you have to work. I believe it was Maurice Harker who once said that one way of looking at that quote is nothing good is ever going to happen on accident ever again, but mm-hmm. it's, it takes work. As I said, graduation isn't a destination. It's a milestone, yeah. but yes, it's possible. Um, today is 2,855 days from my last lost battle. And wow. I continue to keep track of that because it helps me, but also because my mentor, the guy who ran my group, was trying to drill into my head the importance of accountability and keeping a calendar. And he said, you're allowed to stop keeping a calendar when you've been winning for 10 years. Well, it hasn't been 10 years yet. <laughs> so day 2855 but i have the opportunity now to try and serve and this is relevant to your question sure i have the opportunity to be one of the group facilitators for some of the healman groups i have the opportunity to be one of the facilitators for men moroni groups and i really enjoy what i do but one of the really important things is under it's important to understand one of the important things i try and help these men that i work with understand and i include the 14 50 year olds in that term men because that's who we're trying to train them to be. You have to take this concept of the expectation of, I have to sweat every day of my life. I have to work every day of my life. And there's a kind of peace that comes with getting rid of it. And they live happily ever after. If you just anticipate, I will probably have to fight this every day for the rest of my life. It's not a very fun thought, but there's peace in that of, okay, well, I'm just going to sharpen my sword and we're going to go to battle. It's I like to imagine the resigned experienced veteran who's trying to have peace talks. And when it's very clear, the other person just doesn't have peace. It's like, fine, you want war? We'll have war. I don't want to do this, but I'll fight till we're done. Mm -hmm. And it's an important kind of resonation to experience. But there are some people who until their dying day, they will have to fight this. That doesn't mean that every battle is going to be excruciatingly difficult. And that doesn't mean that the battles you have 15 years from now are going to be as difficult as the battles you have today. 
as you grow as a warrior, as you become more experienced, more trained, better skilled, it becomes easier to win the battles. It becomes easier to predict when and where and how the enemy will attack next. And it'll be easier to predict the ambushes. And there will still be times that you're surprised, but you'll be better, better able to catch them and fight and win those battles. Mm-hmm. But I also want to share a note of hope. And I am cautious in how I share this. So there's some details I'm leaving out of this because of the sacred nature of what I'm about to share. So I shared through the story of how I met my wife, Jamie, and I told her about my struggles. I was a returned missionary. I lost two battles after I returned from my mission. So let her know about the recovery that was still ongoing My last lost battle had been in 2015. At this point, it's 2017. And anyway, so when we start making plans, I propose. She says, yes, October rolls around in general conference. So at this point, I had been, so it's 2017. I graduated from the program. I became a general of Sons of Helm in 2012. So for over five years at this point, I had been consistently fighting and winning almost all of my battles. Mm-hmm. with the expectation of I will have to fight this every single day for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And there was something in that October 2017 general conference where the Holy Ghost was able to kind of poke me. It's like, hey, there's an opportunity for you to be healed. And that just kind of broke my brain. Like, this is an actual opportunity. This is a possibility. Please don't be joking or teasing with me right now. That's not okay. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't able to get much else out of general conference that weekend other than there's this potential, this possibility that I could be healed. So the first opportunity I have, I go to the temple. I'm in the celestial room. I'm seeking clarification. And the information I receive is that I had come far enough in my journey that if I was willing to trust Jesus Christ, he would start fighting my battles for me. Uh, Now, an important thing I want to make sure people understand here is he did not promise he would take my battles away. Mm -hmm. I still have temptations every once in a while. The promise is that if I trust him, he will fight those battles for me. Mm -hmm. And that was terrifying. Um, I had rituals I had been consistently practicing for over five years. Mm. And to put those rituals on the altar and say, okay, I trust you. Here you go. Wow. That was frightening. But he took my offering and he's been consistently fighting my battles for me ever since. And one of the things about it is it's a ongoing relationship and it's a warning and a red flag to me that I, when I begin to experience temptations, what that tells me is I'm slipping in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I'm not trusting him the way that I need to. And so it's circumstance conditional. That's the right word. Not circumstantial. It's conditional. The more I trust him, the more of these battles he fights for me. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I believe other people can experience too. I don't understand when, where, and how God chooses that it's to offer these things to people. But I do know it's something that people can receive. 
and my understanding, my belief now that it's been an additional almost, well, yeah, this October will be six years since I had that conversation with God. Mm-hmm. In order to continue progressing as a disciple of Christ and a son of God, I needed to have time and space in my head to devote to other things. Yeah. Um, because who knew that two-year-olds will drive you absolutely batty and make you do things you never thought you would do before. <laughs> If I had to try and process and learn how to healthily manage the anger that was a coping mechanism when I was 12, now that I'm trying to raise a two-year-old mm-hmm. and have to commit all this time and energy to consistently fighting, winning all those battles, I don't know that I would have been able to do it. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately it comes back to the the grace of Jesus Christ and that he is willing he is able to step in. But the definition of the miracle I like best is a miracle is when God does things for us, we cannot do for ourselves. And so the balance of that is by the sweat of thy face, shall they eat thy bread all the days of thy life. If you can do it for yourself, the expectation is that you will do it for yourself. The, the good men, the good women who struggle with any sort of compulsive behavior or addiction, whether it's heroin, whether it's pornography, whether it's they just can't stop eating donuts, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. The reason that they aren't getting the help that they want, or let me rephrase that, perhaps one of the reasons, because again, God works on a di- different level of calculus than we do, and we can't understand all of his reasons why. But the expectation is that you can do it. You just don't know how yet. Mm. And with the proper training, you can learn how to win your battles for the rest of our lives. Mm. That is one of the primary purposes of Sons of Healman, of Men of Moroni, of so many of the services and programs that Life Changing Services offers. Do we want to help our men work sexual self-mastery? Yes. But the real reason that we teach them what they teach them is we want them to be able to live within their value system and to do it on purpose and do it for the majority of the rest of their life. That's powerful. That's so powerful. Ah, it's so powerful. Lisa and Lloyd, before we leave, would you just talk to other parents or families out there? And yeah, if someone were thinking, we have just found out that this is going on at our house. Why would you, why would you recommend the Sons of Healing program? Because it works. The reason it works is because it's based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is what makes it work. Yes, it is science. It's understanding the way the brain works and things like that. But without Jesus Christ and without the gospel and without, I mean, so many of the principles are what we read in the scriptures and have heard over the pulpit. It's like I mentioned before, it's just how to apply them that works with our brain and our body. Yeah. And that's why it works when you take that out of the equation this is no better than any other program 
it's because of Jesus Christ. And we can have faith in him. He knows the way. And it works. Thanks, Lloyd. Lisa, what would you add? I would say in addition to that, that um, young men who join Sons of Helaman are joining with other young men who are fighting similar battles. And it is so much more powerful to fight with others than it is to fight by yourself. Mm. And when these young men are accountable to each other and they develop that brotherhood and that bond, they are fighting for and with their brothers. Mm. And they are sharing the principles that they learn with their brothers and they are encouraging them and they are boosting and helping each other. So none of us can do it on our own. So in addition to relying on the savior, we have others that can fight with us. And that's another thing that makes the sons of Helaman so powerful is that they get to do it with others and, and with a trained guide. So good. It's almost like they're learning through the spirit what it is to fight like dragons for what they love, but <clears throat> do it right alongside people they trust who it, understand. It's an apprenticeship. It's learning skills. It's This isn't about knowledge and what you know. It's not, I can win because I know this. It's I can win because I've practiced and developed this skill. I have the strength and the power. I connect with my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I learn that from people who know how to do it. Like Lisa said, I'm working with a facilitator who knows these principles. I have brothers who they can then ask questions and it's like oh that applies to me too it's how we learn skills and that's why we can learn that's so awesome mm. right now i'm gonna let you have the final word here tonight okay why come to sense of helaman yes it works because we use the principles of jesus christ Yes, the, the team building, the camaraderie, it's such an important thing because it helps reduce and remove the shame that is such an inherent part of these sexual self-mastery battles, the, the pornography, the masturbation, the everything else. Yes, there's the apprenticeship, but it's, I don't know what else to say other than my personal experience, my personal testimony is that this is a tool that God and Jesus Christ are using to change the lives of men. Is it the only tool? No, there are other tools out there, but it is a really good tool and it does work. If you're willing to work, the sense of human program can't change you. You have to change yourself with jesus christ 
Paul in his epistle to the Romans talks about how we're purified through Christ. In Moroni chapter 10, Moroni talks about how come unto Christ and be perfected in him. As my mom mentioned earlier, it, Sons of Human teaches young men how to repent without using the word repent. We teach how to change with the, we do use the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ without using all the churchy words that they've learned how to tune out. There was a talk a number of years ago where Elder Gary E. Stevenson talked about how repentance is practice. And that's what we focus on in group. Here are tools. Here's brotherhood. Now let's go to work. Let's practice. And we will practice and practice and practice and practice until we get it right. You know, one of my favorite things about group is the promise that we make to each other. Every group we end by saying, I promise to be a service to you and allow you to be a service to me. And until, and that is the promise, until both you and I successfully defeat this demon that assails us. Mm -hmm. That is the core of the brotherhood and the heart of what we do in Sons of Helaman and Metamoroni. I love it. I love it. And I love you, Petersons. Yep. And I think the people listening are so appreciative of you too. But yeah, thank you so much for your service, for your efforts, for your courageous vulnerability and your willingness to serve all of us this evening. And thanks for going to bed late really appreciate you so much in my own personal life in the life of my family and just i've been strengthened in my personal battles because of the peterson family so thank you so much and thank you listeners for being with us thanks karen sexual self-mastery in our day can be extra challenging all of our families know someone tangled in the trap of pornography. We invite you to join thousands of youth and adults who have found hope and healing through the gospel-centered, faith-affirming programs for youth and adults offered through Life-Changing Services. Go to Life-Changing Services to get on the road to freedom and recovery.